Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. It's the summertime, and uh, we have been working through a teaching series on Sunday mornings um, earlier this year, looking at the supernatural church. But we're finding, of course, over the summer period that we're a little bit more bitty and bobby in terms of who's, who's here. And so what we're trying to do is, is talk about some things week by week. And today we're going to look at Psalm 25. Did you like the bitty and bobby? Yeah, good. <laughs> Well, it's basically funny. <laughs> but we can look back at a time like this, at a summertime, a time when we kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit. We're perhaps going on holiday and uh, have a bit of time to reflect and look at the things that have been happening for us over the last few months. And it's certainly true in my life, and I know in the life of all of us, that we've all been making decisions constantly. Yeah, it's a constant of life. And uh, some of those decisions are very, very small day-to-day decisions. Some of them are very, very big, life-changing decisions. But making decisions, knowing what to do, is, is a constant in our lives. Where should we live? Should we move house or should we extend the house we've got? Should we get married? Should we start dating? Should we have any children? When do we stop? (laughs) Should I spend my money on this thing? Or should I spend my money on that thing? What's my responsibility to this person? How should I support my elderly relatives? Should I get a new job? Should I take the promotion? Should I retire? What's the right balance between my home life and my work life? What's going to be best for my children? What's going to be best for my husband or my wife? How should I spend my time on Sundays? What should I encourage my children in on Sundays, how we spend our time together? Should I start tithing? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so the list goes on and on and on. And and I know from being in situations one-on-one with people that these questions, probably all of those questions and many, many more, have been raised. These are all the things that we're thinking about and are needing to make a decision on. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 25. And I've called this morning the right path. And what I hope today is that we can be reminded of some eternal principles of God that we find in Psalm 25 that we will find helpful in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead to make our decisions, to know what to do. 
But before we read Psalm 25, I wondered how to introduce Psalm 25, and I realised that someone had already done it better than I could. And that is Peter, in his second letter. So I'd like to read a few verses from 2 Peter and chapter 1. Because he says a lot here of what I feel my heart is for people this morning. So 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 3. Peter writes, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. I think we can see something of Peter's fatherly love for the church in those words, can't we? Aren't those words so, so gentle? And he finishes by saying, I know you've been taught all this before, but this is really precious to me. I really want you to know this. I really want to remind you of this. And it may well be that as we read Psalm 25 this morning, you're thinking, well, I know all this. I've been taught this before. Yeah, but I really want to remind you of it this morning. Yeah, it, it's important. And if, if Peter can do that, I feel I can do that as well. So we say, Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you'll illuminate it to us. We ask that even though these are things we will probably have read and seen and heard before, that there'll be revelation that comes to us this morning. Holy Spirit, will you guide us into your truth for the honour and glory of our God. Amen. Amen. Being reminded of things is important for all of us. You know that, don't you? It's important whether you are an elder in the church. It's important whether you're our life group leader. It's important whether it's your first time with us today. Being reminded of God's goodness is important to everyone. So let's turn to Psalm 25. 
This is a psalm written by David. We're not entirely sure at what point of David's life it was written. It talks about um, trouble and hardship in David's life, but really that could have been written many times during David's life. When it was originally written, it was, um, it was a little play on the Hebrew alphabet, which each little section began with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When you translate that into English, it's completely lost. Okay? But that's, that's how it would have been written at the time. And this is uh, what David wrote. O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honour of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. O God, ransom Israel from all its troubles. Psalm 25. This is a psalm of dedication. This is a psalm where David commits himself to God. And in the first couple of sentences, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. That's a statement of dedication to God. A little later on, we'll find that it's a psalm of supplication, asking God for stuff. And it's also a psalm of declaration, where the psalmist states the goodness of God out loud over himself and in God's presence, and recalling God's good character. In this psalm, David is asking God to guide him, to show him the right path. And he starts with the declaration, I give my life to you, I trust in you, my God. And those are a couple of short sentences right at the beginning of the psalm. And it's, it's kind of easy to skim over those and get into the other stuff that David has got to say. 
But it's also important we take on the full implication of what David has to say there. I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. We should be very careful to be consistent as people who call ourselves Christians, people who describe ourselves as being followers of Jesus. If we accept Jesus as he is described in the scriptures, as both saviour and lord, then the giving of our life to him and our trust in him need to be for all of our life and not just for a moment of initial salvation. Can I give you an example? Let's suppose that Jesus walked into here this morning and he came up to you and he shook you by the hand and uh, he said to you, hello, my name is Jesus and I'm the son of God and I came into this world to save sinners and to give them complete happiness and everlasting life. Mm. By my death and by my resurrection, I have atoned for sin. I've dealt with sin. It's all forgotten by God. Mm. And my wisdom and my knowledge, uh, I can show you to help you make choices that will bring you the greatest life and joy (coughs) on earth and also in heaven. Will you trust me? And suppose you say to Jesus, well, I do want to be happy. I really like the idea of having all my sins forgiven. I really want to spend eternity in heaven. But I've looked at some of your directions for life. I've looked at some of your suggestions for the good life that you promised. And I don't agree with all of them. Some of them are fine. But I really can't go along with a whole lot. And um, if you think they're the ideas about how I'm going to be most fulfilled and happy, I'm not really quite so sure about that. So what I'm going to do, Jesus, is I'm going to accept your forgiveness. I'd like to do that. But if you don't mind, I'm just going to go along with my own ideas as to how I live day by day. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? What would Jesus do as he turned away from you? What would he say? Well, we we know what he'd say, because it it happened to him before. Jesus said something very similar to, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to enter the kingdom of God who thinks he knows more than Christ about the way to be happy. In other words, we can't accept Jesus as our saviour and reject him as our counsellor. We can't accept Jesus as our saviour and reject him as our Lord. You know, we don't use the word Lord in everyday life these days, in the days it would have been used a few hundred years ago. We use it as a bit of a courtesy title. But, um, but to really be under the lordship of Jesus means to trust him and trust all of his ways and all of his direction for our lives. We can't put our own wisdom above the wisdom of God. You know, and if we do that, then we have created ourselves a kind of half-God. Merciful in forgiveness, but who gives unacceptable advice and counsel. And, you know, it's particularly important for us that we know where to turn for counsel in our day and age. God has given mankind much instruction 
about how to live in a way that pleases him. And he wants us to live in a way that pleases him because he knows it's good for us. And because it's good for us and God loves us so much, he wants us to live like that. We mustn't start to think about God as being somebody who's got a big stick and wants to cane us and whip us into shape for for the sake of it. At the heart of every instruction God has for us is his love and compassion for us. Isn't that a good thing to know? God has things to say to us about who we are, what he's created us for, the way he's created us to be, male and female. He's got things to say to us about the way we engage in physical relationships, the way we use our money. He has things to say to us about our conduct and our character. He has things to say to us about our work life. He has things to say to us about the way we relate to one another in families. And God has given us means to receive his counsel. He's given us a counsellor. In uh, John chapter 14, and you can turn to it if you like, because I'm going to read a little chunk from there. John chapter 14, at verse 15, Jesus, who is himself described as the wonderful counsellor, is promising the Holy Spirit to his followers. And Jesus says this, starting at uh, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or in some translations, counsellor, Uh, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognise him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. But when God sends the advocate, the counsellor, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus again saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to remind us there's nothing wrong with hearing the same teaching twice and being reminded of it because it would do something within our very spirits. So how does this all relate to Psalm 25, which is where we started? Well, what was David's situation as we, uh, as we find him in Psalm 25? David knew everything I've just said about God, that God knows the best way for people to live. And we can learn things uh, this morning about how we seek God ourselves when we need his counsel and guidance, which I would argue is all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, uh, it won't have escaped your attention that when David calls to God, he is full of the same emotions and feelings that many of us will have much of the time. So uh, what are those feelings and emotions? What was the situation? Well, David was full of fear. Verse 2, I trust in you, my God. Don't let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. Verse 19, see how many enemies I have, how viciously they hate me. This was fear. David is afraid. He's He's in a bit of a hole. David's life was not always one of outward peace and safety and security. He knew what it was to be afraid. David knew loneliness. Verse 16, Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. David, who at times had people on the street shouting his name, 
was before God saying, I am so lonely here. I'm on my own. Sometimes loneliness is caused by being obedient to God. We read about the Apostle Paul when he's in, uh, he's in prison and goes before the judge. And, uh, and he writes in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that he was brought before the judge and no one came with him. Everyone abandoned him. We know this of Jesus, don't we, in Gethsemane. Everyone abandoned him. He knew what it was to be alone and lonely. We certainly know who our friends are when trouble comes. David also felt guilt. The external uh, struggles of fear and loneliness are compounded by the inner turmoil of guilt. Three times in this psalm, David mentions his struggle with guilt because of sin. Verse 17, do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Uh, Sorry, verse 7 that was. Verse 11, for the honour of your name, O Lord, forgive my many sins. Verse 18, feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. David is racked with guilt. And as well as that, he's confused. He doesn't know the right path to take. He's unsure of his next steps. He doesn't know God's will for him. What should he do? Verses 4 and 5, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. And I'm sure all of those emotions won't be new to any of us. There'll be times in our lives when we have known loneliness and fear and guilt and confusion. And, and here is a man who is described elsewhere in scripture as um, being a man after God's own heart. And yet here is a man too who is before God saying, what? So how does David pray? I think this is really helpful for us. He prays using supplication and declaration. Supplication, he's asking God for things. What should I do? Show me the right path. But he's interspersing that with declaration. He's saying out loud before God and over himself the things that he knows about God to be true. Let me uh, illustrate this. Verse 2. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. Supplication. Then he goes on. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. He's prayed the prayer, but he's also said, but this is who you are, God. Yeah. Uh, verse 4, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Verse 8, the Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. He's saying, Lord, show me the right path. But I know what God's like. He shows the right path to people who are committed to his ways. Uh, Verse 7 and verse 6 do the same thing. David is saying, do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Verse 6, do remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. You know, all of us have things in our youth, stupid things we've done, that we want to know that God has forgotten about. And can I tell you, 
if we have trust in Jesus, yeah. who has accepted him as our saviour, then God has forgotten yeah. about the stupid things of youth. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that good to know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we can do all of this ourselves as we, as we pray. We can declare God's goodness over ourselves and back to him. We can ask the Holy Spirit to show us how to pray in line with God's eternal principles. Yeah. And you know, what we say over ourselves, what we declare out loud with our mouths is really important. Yes, it is. David brought his petitions to God knowing that he was heard. And because of that, he declared his confidence in God. And David's confidence was born out of his relationship with God, you know, because David, David knew God. David's request for guidance was knit together with this declaration of what he knew about God's goodness. So what can we learn from David and from this, this psalm, this prayer? Well, when we are seeking God for guidance, we do believe that God can speak to us in many ways, yeah. can't he? Yeah. We would say that it is possible for God to speak to us in an audible voice. Yeah. It's possible. We would say it's possible for God to give us a dream or a vision that gets to the very nub of the thing that we are uncertain about. He might bring a prophetic word to us. We may even receive angelic visitation. And we're not going to deny the possibility of any of those means of God speaking to us. But what David has to say in Psalm 25 has more to do with um, an attitude of heart, an attitude in his relationship with God. So rather than relying on the height of an experience, some supernatural occurrence, what he's saying is this is to do with the depth of relationship. Yeah, there is, there, there is certainly times when God will speak to us through the supernatural. Everything in an instant, it's resolved, it's clear, we know what we're doing. More often, we find that God will speak to us through the depth of our relationship with him. David's petition in verses 4 and 5, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. That speaks of relationship, doesn't it? All day long, I put my hope in you. What David doesn't mean there is he's on his knees praying all, days long, all day long. What he means is he has a relationship with God where he's committing all of his ways to God all of the time. Psalm 123 is really, paints this really great picture because it says, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven, we keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master. As a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. That is to say, we don't start our day with a quick prayer and run to the bus and pick it up again the next morning. We are listening to God all through the day. We've got something come up at work. How do I deal with this, Lord? You know, we've got a, um, a phone call to make it's going to be difficult. Lord, please show me what to say here. All day long, waiting for the slightest signal for God to show us how to respond. 
So David's petition in verses 4 and 5 is followed by a description of the kind of person who can be sure of God's guidance. And uh, David is once again here declaring who he knows God to be. So let's turn to verse 8. David says this, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. In the NIV it says, uh, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. And just to be clear about this, sinfulness is not a qualification for guidance, but neither is it a disqualification for guidance. God would love to show us the path that he'd have us tread if only we'd turn to him. God is really good. God really wants his best for people. So I'd say one of the first steps to take in knowing God's will in our lives is coming to him and confessing our sin, repenting, knowing that repentance is met with forgiveness every time. Yeah, there was so much of what we heard this morning and sang this morning that was so helpful for us, I believe, in in what we're considering now. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. We can go to him confessing our sin and it's forgotten about. Divine forgetfulness. (laughs) It's dealt with. There's no condemnation. So the Lord... Um, guides those who go astray. Your sinfulness does not disqualify you from guidance, but confess your sin. Verse 9, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. An attitude of humility is really important in knowing God's will. I'll break this to you gently. He is God, and you are not. And um, the other thing that you ought to hear is that's not going to change any time ever. (laughs) Being humble before God as we face decisions in our lives means that God is the person we go to. God is the one we go to, first port of call. Not when we've tried to fix everything ourselves and nothing else has worked. And a couple of months later you say, well, it's got so bad now. I guess I should pray about this. That is not an act of humility before God. God is God, and we are not. The next time you have a decision to make, that won't have changed. (laughs) God will still be God. We don't need to exhaust all our options. We need to choose to pray at all times. And here's the other thing. If we choose not to pray, because we believe the thing that we are praying about... God wouldn't approve of. God wouldn't answer what we want him to answer. Then you've just had the Holy Spirit witness to you. (laughs) Yeah? Pray pray about all things. And if you can't, in all good conscience, bring your requests to God, then I believe that is the witness of the Holy Spirit telling you what you already know. (laughs) Verse 10. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his commands. What does it mean to keep his covenant? And actually what David would have understood about keeping his covenant is different to what we would understand today about keeping his covenant because there's a new covenant. 
Since the world began, God has been making covenants with people. But the covenant that God made with mankind through Jesus, it's the greatest one of them all, isn't it? When we break bread, very often we read these words in 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, Jesus breaks bread and um, passes wine. And he says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. That's the new covenant. The new covenant is this. God will blot out all sinfulness forever for those who repent and turn to God. He can do that because Jesus has lived, has died, has proved he is God by becoming victorious over death, rising from the dead. We turn to God by living as he says is best for us and thereby honouring his name. And we fear him in all we do. That is the covenant that we keep. Being a covenant keeper doesn't mean that we are perfect, sinless people all of the time. David was a covenant keeper. But David is still coming to God saying, there are things I need to confess to you. And in our lives, there will be things we need to confess to God. But do it quickly. Because God is a covenant keeper. God is always a covenant keeper. In fact, it comes with a promise. Verse 11, for the honour of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? We've spoken about this before. Fearing the Lord isn't being frightened of the Lord. It's not like a, a jump or a scare. But I read this little definition, I really liked it. Fear of the Lord is fearing to insult his knowledge by presuming to hide our sin. It means fearing to dishonour God's name by not trusting that he is a reliable guide to joy. Let me just read that again. Fearing the Lord is fearing to insult his knowledge by presuming to hide our sin. It means fearing to dishonour God's name by not trusting that he is a reliable guide to joy. So the Lord says through David that he will always fear those who go, um, he will always lead those who go astray, always lead those who are humble, always lead those who are covenant keepers, always lead those who fear him. So this is what I want to say in conclusion this morning we're always going to have to make choices in our lives. What do we do? Situations around us can change fast. We can be like David going, Lord, now what? Show me the right path. The questions that we started with this morning, you know, where should I live? How should I spend my money? What's best for my children? All of those questions, they're not going to go away. And when they do, there'll be another set of questions. There will always be choices. So where are we going to find our counsel? We'll find our counsel by maintaining our relationship with God. We'll find our counsel by regularly confessing our sin before him and thanking him for the life that we have in him 
because of Jesus. We'll find our counsel when we come to him in humility. Meaning first and not as a last resort. We'll find our counsel by honouring, fearing, revering him in all that we do. And we'll really find our counsel by asking the Holy Spirit, who is called the counsellor, the counsellors. And you know, we need to do this individually. That is really important. But we also need to do this together. As a church, as Living Rock Church, we are in very (coughs) significant days. We're in a really exciting time. God is increasing our reach and our influence in this county, but in other counties, and we believe in nations. This is the day of the major move forward. God has spoken it to us. And we each need to be ready to play our part. And by that, what I really mean is we each need to be ready to play our part. That's all of us. To be on the right path together. So let's seek his counsel individually, but let's seek his counsel together. You know, when we come together uh, once a month to pray all together, that is a really important declaration we're making as the body of Christ. If on those occasions you tend to stay away because it's a bit too heavy or a bit too full on or a bit too serious, it is heavy and full on and it is serious because it's a big declaration we're making to God about the body of Christ. Yeah? Please be together when we, when we uh, come together to pray. Our own David, not the psalmist David, recently gathered together those in their 20s and their 30s uh, for the purpose of casting vision about our mission together. And he asked this question, and this is a question I think is a real challenge for us. Is our followership of Jesus our passion or our hobby? Is our followership of Jesus central or peripheral in our lives? This is an important question for all of us. This is what David the psalmist would write. Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, oh God. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for your many promises that you make to us. We thank you for the many truths and promises that we've read this morning from this psalm. We thank you that we've read that no one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. Thank you, Lord, that you are full of compassion and unfailing love. Thank you, Lord, that you forget the sins of the past because of Jesus. Thank you that you've given us new life, that we're under a new covenant. Thank you that we know what it is to fear you. 
Thank you that we know not to pretend that we're smarter than you. That there are parts of our life we can hide from you. We want to say to you this morning, our Father, together, that we trust in you. And we trust you with what is best for our lives. We trust you for what is best for our lives individually, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our marriages and with our children. And we trust what is best, your best, for this body of believers in this town. Lord, would you increase our voice? Would you bring a resonance to what we have to declare above and across our town? Would people see this body of believers as people who are passionate about you? who are not coming here on Sunday mornings because this is a nice hobby to have, but because you, Jesus, are absolutely central to our lives, because there is no one like you. We give you our thanks this morning. We give you our praise. We thank you that you are God and we are not. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.